0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Here in lower Manhattan, that's what's happening. This is John Binko on Sports Radio 101.9 FM and Sports Radio 66 WFAN. Flagship Station for New York sports. Listen to the fan anytime, anywhere. Download Radio.com app. Favorite us today. If you have Alexa or Google Home, just say play WFAN. You'll be locked into the fan. (laughs) mm <laughs>
2: Uh, well, the, you've forgotten your role with this program. You oh, no, haven't no, been no, here no, in no, such no, a long no, time. No,
1: you've no. forgotten what you're supposed to do. Uh, well, yeah, I know. How am point. I supposed to know when, uh, it, when I to understand? Start? But, 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 you—you you have live guests in the studio, and uh, we're all <laughs> excited about that. We're all excited about live programming. And just to let the guests know why I'm here, <laughs> I've been summoned. I've been away from this program for quite a while, and I've had uh, discussions with uh, top level management. That uh, we needed a little bit of discipline on this program, and that's why I am here and will be uh, for a number of Sundays in the next couple of months. Oh, goody. you you better be on your best (laughs) behavior.
2: Well, good morning, everybody. That's the voice (laughs) of John Minko. Remember him? Remember hearing his voice on Sunday mornings? It's been a while. Mink, it's good to have you back here with us.
1: Yes, I'm going uh, to uh, be here on Sunday morning be, be <laughs> between, uh, you know, taking care of you and, and Rick Wolf and Baseball Boy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that keeps you busy right there. Yeah, absolutely.
2: <laughs> All right, Mink is going to keep us up to date on happenings in the sporting world this morning. And good morning, everybody. I'm Bob Salter. It's um, gotten to be kind of a wet morning uh, out of doors, as uh, Mink said in his uh, top of the hour update And look at uh, the weather. It can kind of be a little bit tricky in uh, some spots, too. So do take care if you're headed out and about. And we're very pleased that in hour one of our program, we have a live guest who is in studio with us. He's got an interesting um, background uh, to bring to our discussion. David Allensworth is joining us in studio. He's the owner at uh, Shady Tree Films. He's the director of Soul to Keep. And we're going to find out about this um, new movie um, and... It's an interesting story associated with that as well. First of all, David, thank you. It's nice to have you join us on our program. Bob, thank you for having me. And uh, and also, you made a, a yeoman's trip, literally, <laughs> yeah. uh, coming in to WFAN today. Quite too.
3: a snowstorm a little north of here. So anybody traveling down into the city today, be very careful out there. A snowstorm. Imagine that, yeah. literally.
2: <laughs> and he came here. Peter, he came here.
3: Through a snowstorm to come literally to
2: WFAN today.
3: (laughs) I had I had like snow moving sideways in my (laughs) windshield. I couldn't see the road. Well, nice to have
2: you join us. Uh, I guess a little bit of background in um, you know in introducing you. I mentioned the fact you're uh, owner at uh, Shady Tree Films. We'll get into talking about Soul to Keep. Mm -hmm. Um, In your background, how do you describe what it is that really got you inspired to
3: get into making films and directing? You know, uh, everybody's a different sort. Uh, what's in them, what they have in their soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of us are doctors, some of us are negotiators, some of us are DJs, some like to have a voice. Uh, for me, I'm a storyteller. And that's the, the fire that's in me. And you could tell a story in many ways you can write a song you can uh you know write a book uh you can paint all those things are telling a story and for me i fall in love with the idea of telling a story on screen uh it's very inspiring what's that realistically mm-hmm. what's that like
2: when you know you start with i'm going to assume is a germ of an idea, basically sure, yeah, watch that grow <laughs> and then reach the point of a finished product
3: it's it's a journey of change because uh, you have that seed of an idea, uh, you know you get into a script uh, you're going to rewrite that script several thousand times, and then you get into pre-production and you're looking for locations and uh, you find something that kind of then changes what was in the script because now the location's a little bit, you know, got a nuance to it. The bathroom's on the left side, not on the right. <laughs> and so then you start to have different ideas about that. And then you get to production. And then uh, speaking about the weather, we had uh, built into this script, we had snow in, in our final act. We had a major element that had to do with snow. and, when we shot, in the middle of winter, upstate New York, where you're expecting it to absolutely 100% snow, like today, no snow nice. at all. Nice. And we had to scramble and come up with ideas of how to rework that. It was a nice surprise, nice surprise in the film uh, that we had built into the script. And so uh, it turned into something else that was even more brilliant. So sometimes it just works out that way. So it changes as it goes, and you have to be on your toes. You have to have good producers around you uh, to help you solve those solutions. And then that's just into production. And then you got to get into post-production, and then you see your film change even then as certain scenes are not as necessary. You start to cut. Uh, you start to see the, the beauty in a few different moments that you didn't actually see on set. Mm-hmm. And you then you bring those out, especially in performances. We had really great performances from our actors. Um, and they're all up-and-coming, fantastic uh, young folks. So, uh, you know, and then by the time you get to the full post-production process, uh, adding layers of music, you start to see the tone start to shape uh, into something, just something quite amazing. What is Soul to Keep about? Soul to Keep is a horror thriller, demon possession film, where a bunch of kids, a bunch of millennials, I guess we should say, uh, go to a country house that's uh, been inherited by a couple of them, uh, and they go there to party. Uh, and they then, of course, while partying, discover something very bad in the basement. Uh, a ritual room, and uh, while intoxicated, they decide this is a great idea to go ahead and summon a demon, and they think it's a joke, and then, of course, it's not, and something happens, and uh, all hell breaks loose. It goes south from there. The beauty of this film, though, is uh, that that demon particularly is one that some people are familiar with in demonology or Christianity or the Judeo-Christian faith. Uh, is uh, Beelzebub. And he's a very uh, gluttonous demon who just wants to consume everything. So this story is about how Beelzebub uh, makes an effort to consume the souls of these millennials that show up at this country house. Where on earth did this idea come from? That's a good question. The uh, original script uh, was a comedy horror by uh, by my co-writer Eric Bram. And... Uh, I read that script, the original one, and it was crazy. Just you know, arms being ripped off. You know, you know, there's people that were, you know, like one-liners everywhere. It was really a lot of fun. But I didn't want to tell that story. I wanted to tell the, the scarier side of it. I really wanted to make people feel like they are there and mm. that real decisions are being made. Um, it's not a hokey, hokey horror where you, you know you're you're making bad choices and then you have a one-liner. Uh, to get out of a situation. You know, these, you know, when bad things start to happen, it's one of those, what the hell just, what, what's going on here? And how do we get out of here? You know? and, so, um, and then a really great thing about it is the decision-making. Uh, if one of your friends starts to act crazy, like a demon, and starts to do really bad things, and you can't necessarily leave, what do you do? It's a lifelong friend, do you think about killing them or mm. do you find a way to you know, get that demon out of them and uh, you know, send the demon back to hell in some spell book kind of way? And so those, are, those kind of considerations are in this film.
2: Now, another aspect of your work involves um, being involved in working with deaf people.
3: Mm. How would that come about? That's a good question. Uh, along the way, as I was rewriting the script with Eric Bram, um, I was reducing the amount of characters. There was a whole bunch, people getting killed off left and right. And uh, I wanted to bring, bring it down to an ensemble cast. And originally, to scare people, I kind of felt like it was a scare tactic, uh, the seed of the idea, like, what if one of the friends was deaf? Um, how difficult would that be to survive? Or perhaps it's an advantage in some way, and I was thinking about Beelzebub, who's consumer of all the senses, and that Beelzebub can't consume the senses of someone who doesn't have hearing. I thought that was really a fun idea, but as we got that into the script, we made another discovery, kind of a social importance um, that if this the the character her name is Tara, played by Sandra May Frank, who uh, if anybody from New York, has seen Spring Awakening. She was the star of Spring Awakening here on Broadway. And that character is the girlfriend of one of the other main characters. And we just thought logically, to be authentic, if she's the girlfriend of this guy, he probably knows how to sign. And if they're all friends for a long time, maybe they all need to know how to sign. And then that kind of thus be, began the, the whole, well, this is cool. What if we have a kind of environment where friends include deaf and hearing, uh, just because they all have the ability to communicate with each other? And I kind of thought that was really, really cool. And as we got to set, it was magical. Absolutely. And how, how did you, in, you know, incorporate? Because um, that's got to be kind of tricky, making that all work. It was. We had to, to make sure it's authentic mm-hmm. uh, you know, for these other characters. So these, mind you, these actors did not know how to sign prior to this production. Only one. One was uh, somebody who actually knew how to interpret uh, and, and happened to be a fine actor uh, playing the part of Freddie. Uh, his, uh, his name is Craig Fogle. Um, but everybody else didn't know how to sign. So we had to hire uh, what's called an ASL master. Uh, somebody who can teach and make sure that it is accurate and and looking good. So that's uh, something that we had to have on set. And then we had to have interpreters on set to uh, shadow Sandra at all times so that when we needed to, con- to communicate with her for every shot that she was in, for anytime she wasn't on camera and we were working with her on her scenes, uh, we needed somebody to interpret because I personally don't know how to sign uh, I learned some along the way, mm-hmm. but, you know, going into it, I didn't, like, take a crash course in sign language. Uh, I'm, you know, now excited about the idea of learning sign language, and uh, my children actually are learning it. So it's a real good outcome of that. But on set, we had to have an ASL master and interpreters at all times. I mean,
2: in terms of your shots and and the like, that it would seem that would be tricky because you're also you know trying to make things flow in a certain fashion but
3: yet you need the interpreters yeah to be able to keep the communication going that you need too it does slow it down in terms of a traditional set uh, you know you have to double your efforts uh, you have to you know talk through an interpreter and then you know they have to then interpret that to Sandra but the but they're pretty quick about it. It's really shocking to see how quickly they sign, and it's it's like when you're hearing another language, and and it's just and you have no idea what they're saying, but they know what they're saying. So their hands move real fast, and it's very emotional and uh, or I should say emotive. So, um, but it 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 was a an interesting uh, phenomenon on set to watch this happen, and we had to do many takes as our ASL master was also watching the screens to make sure that you could, that the sign language was happening correctly. Uh, And uh, that was, you know, an an interesting experience. There's
2: a lot of different elements that all need to come together in this to make it, you know, to make it authentic, um, literally, as the whole production is going too. Because I'm trying to think of this from your standpoint, also trying to think of it from the standpoint of, The other actors were involved in uh, this, uh, too. So we get into talking a little bit more about that as we continue in our uh, discussion. We really just started the uh, chat with David Allensworth. He's the owner at Shady Tree Films. Um, Shady Tree Films, that's all as one word, .com, the website. And Soul to Keep, we're going to talk more about uh, that. Soul to Keep, that's Soul, T-O, Keep, Movie, Soul to Keep, Movie, All is one the website. Radio.com. Radio.com. It is Sunday morning on the fan. Good morning everybody. This is Bob Salter. Hey it. Can you believe that literally I went out, went into another radio station, and came back during Minko's update? I get into more things
3: around here on Sunday mornings. It's absolutely incredible. It's quite a skill to like literally sit down at exactly the right moment and start talking. Exactly.
2: Sometimes it just works well. Other times, eh. We're in discussion with uh, David Allensworth on our program. David is owner at Shady Tree Films, director of Soul to Keep, talking with us about the movie and talking about this uh, production that was involved. You know, I alluded to something before links, update, and messages. Yep. And that was the idea of, from the other actors' standpoint. Yeah. Okay. What was that, what was that like? Um, in terms for of... Them, for them, because, you know... Having a deaf in, actress with them, yeah. That and, you know, so many people did not know sign language, okay? Um, It's got to be... Well, actually, let, let me not put the words uh, in your
3: mouth. Yeah. I, I'll tell you this. Um, once the actors, uh, the other actors, uh, uh, knew that there was a deaf angle as they read the script, uh, they got very, very excited. Um, the idea of uh, learning a new skill as an actor, I don't know if you've ever seen, like, actor resumes, and they, mm-hmm. ha- they put on, the, oh, I could play basketball, and I do karate, and, you know, they, they have, like, different things— and now they can like they can sign on camera and they were so as an actor they have this like you know desire to expand and uh so that was something that they were they had a lot of energy for on set uh several of them i mean they, they all did just pick it up and um took it way beyond what i was expecting of each of their skill sets i mean it was they're just incredible talent uh i I'll, I'll, i could speak to one specifically uh, There's an actor. His name is Derek Long, and he plays the character of Toby, who's this DJ, um, a different kind of DJ. And he um, he had an emotional scene that we the, we built in from way back when, and even into the auditions. And he nailed it, and you know some crying and so on. And when we got to the moment, um, we shot that, and he insisted even though it was so emotional that he didn't have to sign, he insisted on building the signing into the emotional moment, uh, and his hands moved, his hands felt like they were crying. I mean, it was like a really cool thing to watch. That, that's how much these actors were affected by the idea of incorporating sign language into, into the uh, film. Now, one thing we haven't talked about is
2: the release officially of uh, this movie. Yes. Well, I mean, here you are. You're basically we're talking about this a little bit before we started the program. It's less than a month away from its "quote unquote" official release. Is that yeah, right?
3: That's correct. Yeah. What's what is planned? We uh, are with a fantastic distributor uh, called The Orchard. They uh, cater to independent films, mm-hmm. uh, and they have very strong relationships with everything digital, everything on demand, anywhere you want to go on demand. And digitally, you can find this film come April second, uh, and uh, whether it's uh, you know Google Play, iTunes, Amazon, you name it, you know uh, Xbox, or on your on you know on Spectrum, uh, you know Comcast, wherever it is, you're going to find it. Dish even so, like it's it'll be out on April second uh, as far as the official release. We've been in film festivals, and in fact, we have another one coming up. In Cincinnati, there's the largest horror convention uh, called Horror Hound Weekend, and I think like thirty or forty thousand raving horror fans uh, show up, and there's a film festival included, and we are nominated for best picture in that as well. Really? Yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. I've actually heard of that festival. Oh yeah. Okay, that's actually a big. De- that's a big deal. It's it's a big event. Uh, we've been. Uh, Working with the fine folks that are over there, and uh, I didn't realize how big it was until mm-hmm. we started to research what we needed to do to prepare to go for this for this convention. And it's fantastic. Like there's just so much love of of the idea of horror, and uh, they just eat it up, and they're excited about our film. We have a good film on our hands, so it's the high, the high production value. You know, it was shot in 6K. I mean, you don't. Even, you can't even watch it in 6K. It's that high. Okay. Now, yeah. technically, yeah, a whole lot
2: of people listening to this discussion have not a clue what that means.
3: Well, when you watch on your TV, or uh, you know, or at home, or on on your phone, or on your iPad, uh, you're watching in either what's called 1080p. The you know the the screen is pretty good quality HD, uh, and probably in what's called 2K, uh, 2000. I don't know totally technically lines per, uh, per, you know, per moment. Um, but we, most, and some of the better TV sets that you buy will, uh, you can watch in 4k. Mm-hmm. A lot of, if you go out to the movie theater, uh, that's digitally showing, that'll be in 4k. Right. Nothing is higher than that. Uh, and, but our quality of our footage is in five, uh, 6k, a couple of moments we're in 5k. We've got, you know, uh, aerial footage, and we, you know, all that aside, the story is something that is going to carry it because there's a lot of surprises in this film uh, that take it beyond your format of a a typical demon possession film. Okay. Yeah. Here we are less than a month from this
2: officially being released. What's it like? What's going through your head now?
3: Panic. Why? (laughs) Why? Well, because you want everybody to love it. Uh, You you know, you do everything you can to get the word out. And still, at that, when it does come out, you don't really know what the reception is going to be. You don't really know how many people are going to download this thing or stream it. Um, You don't know how many people are going to show up at that theater at a film festival. You try your best to to uh, hawk your wares and go, you know, guerrilla-style marketing and, you know, get out there on the streets and and get on fantastic shows like this to talk about it. But you don't really know what's going to compel somebody uh, to go see this film. I can say that uh, having watched it probably a million and one times, uh, I love it every time. So I know it's a good film. So my assumption is going to be, that there's going to be a lot of people watching this film, but still there's a panic because uh, that's what you do. We, you know, as humans, we get freaked out about the opening of something or your business. If you have a business that you're opening uh, and your opening day is coming up, uh, you're in a panic. You, you want to make sure it goes well. But is there a certain um, sense of, yeah, we did this? I think I will feel that after it comes out. I think that that moment comes when there's some result and you say, "Ah, people are watching this. Hey, look at that. There's there's these great fans who want more, who want to see a sequel. Uh we have a whole series up based on this film that already, you know, lining up uh in our in our development process. Uh Beelzebub would be the first one. There's going to be more. Uh more demons from hell. Uh, finding their way to this earth and that is going to be the precursor to something pretty big so I'm excited to plant this seed here now in this film you go out and see the film and you see this we have this fantastic uh, title sequence from a, we did a uh, we, we hired a, a sketch artist based out in Cleveland, Ohio who uh, is just one of those like comic book type scar, uh, sketch artists and uh, he, I had an idea to showcase the evolution or the history of Beelzebub, through that has meddled in humanity throughout time. The idea of going back to like Jesus, like and, and trying to compel Jesus, or uh, the uh, when the uh, um, uh, the witch hunt, the Salem witch trials, uh, which that actually there's historical uh, reference to Beelzebub meddling in with those women who were accused of being witches. Uh, And Beelzebub perhaps could have had uh, something to do with Abraham Lincoln getting shot. You know, John Wilkes Booth influencing uh, what's called obsession instead of possession. And so we have this fantastic title sequence that really takes you deep into what the effort was, has been. And now, as you get into this film, this little story about a bunch of friends who show up at a house... Upstate New York, and uh, the the results of which Beelzebub is you know, making its way, his way, to Earth. That's been the effort for a very long time. So I love telling that story and then opening that door to others. And you've heard of, like, Lucifer or Asmodeus or, you know, Leviathan. You know, like, these are names we kind of had in our culture— and those are quite dangerous ideas. And what are they doing? And then ultimately, this isn't just about, you know, let's show how all the demons make it to earth. It's also how that's going to be counteracted in time by the other side, the God side, the angels, and they're already here waiting for this to happen. So, so it's going to be this like battle on earth, God willing, a battle on earth that we get to showcase and uh, and tell this fun story. I mean, Ultimately,
2: what what is your hope that I guess results from
3: this movie? I hope that well, there's two fronts. Uh, I want to entertain uh, and impact people from the horror side uh, mm-hmm. of this. This the, wh- exactly what I just talked about. Right. the 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 battle of good versus evil and a new way to look at it. And I want people to think about that. And, uh, and this is, I mean, there's a lot of uh, culture that is behind this that understands this is a potential thing that could actually happen. And then the other side is, as we went into production with the deaf community, to be honest, uh, I'll, let me tell you ex- an experience. We opened, we had a premiere out in L.A. at a fantastic festival called Shriek Fest. And um, it's very, like, independent film. Uh, curated uh, on a level where they're not influenced by anybody else. They just say, these are the movies we want to show. And we had a special screening uh, where we did it in, with an open caption experience, uh, as in these, the subtitles were on screen for a hearing-impaired audience, a deaf audience. And they showed up in droves and watched this film. We had a and a Q&A afterwards. And with Sandra May Frank up there. And the, the, the absolute gratitude for what we did on screen was worth it. The, even after we were done with the Q&A, out in the parking lot, uh, I, I was surrounded by fantastic people who want to shake my hand to thank me for doing this. Because this is something that's sorely lacking in, uh, on screen. That, uh, you know, why do we need to have um, a story about being deaf to, to, uh, to, to include a deaf talent? Uh, our story is just that we have an ensemble cast who are all great, but one of them happens to be deaf. We don't overdo it. We just make it part of... Because the deaf community is part of all of our community. And that result... Honestly, I had left the uh, the event. I got into my car, and I was shaken. I literally was shaken by that experience, and that was an impact for me and importance of this film to get out there, to get it to the deaf community. And almost the iron- irony is that this wonderful program they can't even hear. Like, if there's a way to get the transcripts, I'd like to get it out to the deaf community so they can. You know read about it and know that we're, we're' we've got them we we want this out there we want the the hearing community the rest of the world to understand that this is not that difficult to be inclusive that was a question I had based on
2: you know when you said that so many people showed up um,
3: and my first thought was well how'd they know about it who got the word out we had we hired a, a publicist and uh, we uh, worked through the deaf community as well to, to find people. And also Sandra May Frank has a following okay. uh, in the deaf community, and she helped us get the word out as well. So uh, we, well, every, everybody has someone that, that they know that is either hearing impaired or deaf. Uh, and there's a million deaf uh, people in the United States, and there's 10 million that are of uh, significant hearing loss. Our own producer, uh, Matt Meyer, has significant hearing loss uh, and, and and tinnitus as well. And uh, the wife of my co-writer, Eric Bram, is uh, deaf, completely deaf in one ear and has significant hearing loss in the other. And so it kind of hits home. We all know someone.
1: All
2: right. We're going to talk more with uh, David Allensworth, uh, who is the owner at Shady Tree Films, director of Soul to Keep. He's our guest in this first hour of our program this Sunday morning. Radio It's Sunday morning on The Fan, and good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. We are in an interesting discussion with David Allensworth. He's in studio with us. He's the owner at Shady Tree Films Incorporated, director of Soul to Keep, Soul to Keep Movie. That's all This one word.com, .com, the website, ShadyTreeFilms.com. Also another site on the web to find out more about uh, David's work and find out work uh, find out information about uh, the movie itself. A lot of things I want to ask. And one thing I've neglected to do, though, is to mention if um, some of the folks who are listening to us maybe are on point with some of the things we're talking about, might want to throw in a question. You certainly can. 877-337-6666 is our number here at The Fan. I want to pose a question based on something that you mentioned um when talking about this um, showing and uh, presentation in uh, Los Angeles yeah and having significant numbers of people from the deaf community uh, come out, yeah you said there was a q and a that took place yes. um, with uh, Sandra
3: um, what was the intensity of that like uh, from from our point of view or from the audience point of view both Uh as soon as we got up there and we discussed a lot of what we just talked about here uh, on, the, on the show today, about mm-hmm. the process and what it was like on set. Um, and as soon as we opened it up to the questions out in the audience, probably about 12 hands, maybe more, a dozen to two dozen hands popped up. Mm-hmm. And they all wanted to not only be thankful for this experience, uh, but they, they wanted more. They wanted to uh, express that there's, there's a major need to include uh, deaf talent in in movies and TV shows and so on, um, but that we were extremely authentic in the presentation of uh, not only Sandra Mae Frank's character but all the characters around her that felt like they were all varying levels of understanding the language. Because not everybody who's a hearing person is going to you know be... Completely fluent. So you could see on screen that some were a little more relaxed about how it goes, and they felt that was really brilliant, that you know, everybody's a little bit different. So they even caught up on all the nuances. So the, the energy of uh, you know their, their questions to us uh, was very apparent uh, just by the, the fact that they were so specific about what they liked about the film. And
2: one of the thoughts that was expressed... Basically, in our last break, actually came from the gentleman who was at the controls today, Peter Kennedy, asked the uh, question. Asked you the question. I want you to address this on the air because I thought this was an interesting yeah. area. He and he had watched the the trailer uh, for the movie and was very impressed by that. His question was, "How much of a role did Silence play
3: in yes. this production?" Uh, silence actually uh, was when I. Mentioned earlier on the show about uh, the, the, the seed of the idea of having a deaf character. I wanted to play with the, uh, uh, the scare tactic. Mm-hmm. Uh, silence is a big deal. Um, in a horror film or a thriller, when uh, suddenly uh, you, you, you are from the point of view of someone you cannot hear, uh, we reflect that entirely in production. A fantastic sound designer, uh, Angela Panetta from uh, Panetta Studios, and we played very carefully uh, in, our, in our, some of the scary moments to literally wipe out the sound. And, in fact, there's, there's a really great scene, you'll have to see it uh, for everybody listening, where, our, uh, where Sandra, um, there's a party going on, there's a lot of noise, a lot of pounding music. Of course, she can't hear it. She feels it through a balloon, okay? A lot of the, uh, the deaf community, when they want to, hear music, they hear it through a balloon, through the vibration of a balloon. They hold their hands on the balloon. And this character, something happens in the film that's very loud uh, and an attack from, uh, uh, I guess, our demon. And she feels that. So she goes off to investigate that sound. And as she goes off on her own into the darkness, into the dark hallway, uh, and we... Play with the sound uh, as it becomes her story we suddenly cut it out <laughs> gone and we suddenly understand that she's not intimidated by the, the sounds of the world she's curious about them and that is actually one of the first moments that you find that she becomes a hero you know are one of the you know it's hard to tell in an ensemble cast who's the protagonist and she spe- starts to become that character from that point forward uh, that actually her deafness is an advantage uh, in the story. So, uh, you know, the, the, the play of sound, of course, we had some scare ideas. She can't hear what's happening behind her is a fantastic scene where somebody is being attacked uh, behind her and she's in the foreground uh, and you're watching her not knowing that all that is going on behind her and that person's trying to warn her. And she's not budging. And you're like on the edge of your seat going, ah, just turn around, just turn around. And that was, a, that was part of the idea originally, uh, even before rewriting the script into this more horror thriller idea. So that, that one actually survives all those changes that occur from development into distribution. That actually survives all the way through. So I'm really, you know, excited about that. And Peter, I hope I, did I do justice to your question.
2: Absolutely. It, it was cool. perfect. I just I think of a horror. I think of intense moments in a movie like Interstellar when obviously so much goes to the sound of the moment mm-hmm. and then silence ends up being just as strong, if not stronger.
3: Just as loud, for sure. Yeah.
2: By the way, I should mention the fact I haven't done this thus far. Usually I do this, I almost feel like I get overwhelmed with this. It's 6.49, yeah. 6.49 here on the fan because the time... The clocks went ahead an hour. We moved into daylight savings time because it'll be light longer. clock's ahead an hour. If you didn't do that before you went to sleep last night, good idea to do that and catch up on things uh, at this point uh, too. David Allensworth's in studio. He's the owner at Shady Tree Films, director of Soul to Keep, talking with us on our program on the fan this morning. When we're talking about um, Soul to Keep and talking about your work, what would you say also to somebody who is listening to our discussion today who maybe they've had an idea sure for a movie listen most of us have walked around with yeah. an idea for a, a believe me i got about 5 okay <laughs> about 5 different ideas yeah. one of one, one of which i really personally think could be a blockbuster Okay, but then again, that's my belief in it. um Somebody is interested in this field, yeah, what would you say to them about what it's really like, and perhaps what could you say to maybe inspire somebody who's
3: yeah looking at this as possibly a career? uh, that's a great question uh like almost any field, it's very difficult to accomplish certain goals. You know, filmmaking, you have to raise money. uh, And oh, that's got to be easy. Yeah. It is absolutely (laughs) the hardest part of this entire process. And our producer, Matt Meyer, who I mentioned earlier, is a huge part of how that actually actually happened. So thank you to Matt on that one. Um, But you cannot convince anybody of giving you money to anything, but especially about filmmaking, unless you have. Certain key elements going in, you have to have passion for what you do mm. uh, if you want to get into this you got to have you know uh, you have to be passionate about this idea, Bob, whatever this blockbuster is, you got to be very passionate about it um and and you have to have persistence, you have to keep at it because there's going to be a lot of people saying no eh, i don't know or they might say yes for a moment, but they don 't actually you know, come to the table. But even when you get the money uh, and you get to move into production, um, you got to continue with your vision. That's actually part of the pitch. You have to have, you know, vision for what you do, for what your idea is in telling your story. Uh, You have have to be able to convey that vision to others, whether it's the money people to the, the fantastic crew that you hire uh, to you know your assistant director, to the other producers, to the gaffer, to anybody. You're obviously the director of photography, everybody. Your vision with uh, your composer. We had a great composer on our film, Herb Johnson, who's like the the music, despite having a deaf character in this, the music is so good that you almost want— I, I hope that we get the chance to have an album out so that we can, you know— uh, have people buy this score uh, but that came through conveying the vision that he was on the on the same page of that vision mm-hmm. and then the last thing I would say if you want to get into this uh, just throwing one more thing here is that um, um, impact you got to have some kind of impact on your audience you want you have to go into it believing that you're going to impact them in some way whether it, look if you just want to entertain that's an impact you p- let people uh, escape their their life for a moment and entertain them, whether it's a horror or a comedy, you know, we've got all kinds of uh, productions that we're developing at Shady Tree Films, uh, even a, a, a faith friendly project. And with anything that will have an impact on your audience is going to help drive their interest uh, because that's one of their takeaways. So vision, impact, persistence, passion, you put all that together and, I'd say you've got a very good shot at getting something done. And when you talk about that
2: idea of the passion, as you were saying that, I'm thinking, is that a difficult thing, though, to um, <sighs> transfer in terms of your passion to
3: somebody else it is if you're not passionate <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's really true. I set you up on it, that one yeah, okay yeah you, know, <laughs> you, yeah you
3: have to be you have to convey your passion you know if you're not passionate about something uh that you want to do, then how are you can get anybody else to be passionate about it mm. you you have to show them that this is really cool, this is something you really want to do um you can't go in and say look i I got this idea <laughs> It's a, I don't know, a demon possession film and some crazy things happen. And No, it's like, hey, I got this, this movie where not only is it a demon possession film, but we have a deaf angle that you've never seen before. And we've got surprises in the film that make you want to see the film again from a second point of view because you didn't see it coming. It's one of those things. And even in the very end to, to survive, there is going to be a survivor. I'll give that away. Someone is going to survive this film, and how this person survives is really great. And when you watch that, and you, you say, "I got to see this again." So you, those who are going to stream this or download it, do it again uh, cause <laughs> <laughs> Or yeah, I guess you can watch it within the same twenty four hours and watch it again because it's the same. You know. Uh, Price of admission, I guess. So I would do that. And then you say, oh, all those clues were in there. And I just, oh, I missed that. And I, I love that feeling of doing that. And so there, there's my passion for the project. And it makes people say, yeah, okay, let's, get, let's do this together. And so that's how we got really talented people to be involved on an indie film that had a, a low budget. But we shot it like it was a multi-million dollar film. Because we had people believing in that project, the story. The passion that I had, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I also have to give props that we have, I have a co-director on this film too, uh, that helped understand because I had never done a feature film before. So my co-director, his name is Monnier. Uh, he had a really dark tone to him, and he brought all this kind of, you know, technical wealth and uh, keeping it kind of dark and gritty. And uh, you know, props out to Monnier about that too. So you know, but. Uh, it you know the seed of the idea came through me so that's I guess that's why I'm here. Mm. Most interesting
2: idea certainly. Congratulations on um, you know the effort that you've put into this thus far yeah. and um, reaching this point and being really on. The precipice of its official uh, release and yeah. all the excitement that's got us around that. Uh, David Allensworth is in studio with us, owner at Shady Tree Films, Shady Tree Films, that's with an S, all is one word.com. Uh, the director of Soul to Keep, Soul to Keep Movie, that's all is one word, dot com. Thank you very much. Certainly good luck with uh, Soul to Keep and certainly good luck with um,
3: your continued and future works as well. Bob. Thank you so much for having me on the on the show today, and uh, I look forward to coming back again for another project. Excellent. We
2: look forward to that, too, and certainly travel safely, too. Hopefully it's a less eventful trip <laughs> um, back uh, from WFAN today. Thank you. We're going to take a pause for our top-of-the-hour look around the sporting world with Mr. Minko. Another guest is going to join us as we continue on our program on The Fan this Sunday morning.